Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, on location today in Tupelo, Mississippi. We're at the Tupelo Furniture Market. We're up here for the 20th anniversary of Celebration Village, where the proceeds benefit Sanctuary Hospice up here in Tupelo. The Element Well Studios right here in the lobby area of the Tupelo Furniture Market. Morning, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. Beautiful day out there, a little chilly, but what a great day to be traversing the roads of the beautiful state of Mississippi, including a few miles on the Natchez Trace. Gosh, just gorgeous this morning. It is a little chilly. I was glad to uh, learn that we are inside today. I think an outside remote would have been uh, a bit difficult. The wind is calm, which is good news, but it's still a bit chilly. What about down there? Uh, it's a bit nippy, but it'll warm up throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of the fall weather that we've been sort of anticipating. It's it's uh, what we look forward to this time of year in the great state of Mississippi. Uh, I got a guided tour of the Tupelo Furniture Market, the Celebration Village all set up, the vendors, the exhibitors here are here selling their wares, getting ready to at least. They're setting up today. I was surprised at just how, first, how big this building is. Oh, yeah. Never been in here before. Uh, and secondly, just how many folks come out to be part of this, selling their stuff. I mean, it's like walking through a couple of malls at the same time. And the, the variety of merchandise and, and just the number of uh, fantastic small businesses that uh, spend a lot of time and a lot of money to get all this set up, and they are expecting very large crowds in here uh, tomorrow. General admission is, I believe, $10 at the door Thursday and Friday. The hours are 10 a.m. to 9 p.m., and then Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., so... Just keep in mind that when you come out and, and uh, enjoy this fantastic uh, Celebration Village, that you're helping Sanctuary Hospice, and we've got some folks representing Sanctuary Hospice that will be on the program later on uh, today. We're looking forward to that, and uh, they do such good work, the northeastern area of Mississippi is uh, certainly fortunate to have them and and when you look rhino at all these these vendors that are here today and and all the work that goes on behind the scenes and you know that uh the profits 
uh, from this event go to Sanctuary Hospice. It, I think it just once again goes to show just how generous the great people of Mississippi are. So we've got Jim Johnson, the sheriff of Lee County. He's coming up on the program at 1020. Strat Karastasis, Sanctuary Hospice board member and retired member of the MSU Bulldog Club at 1050. Steve Holland, former member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, always a colorful guest, will be on at 11.05. Lisa Hawkins, chair of Celebration Village, owner of Room to Room Furniture, is coming on at 11.50. 12.05, we'll bring on the mayor of Tupelo, Mississippi, Todd Jordan, and then Tawana O'Rear will wrap things up for us, the Sanctuary Hospice COO at 12.50. So it's going to be a great day. Come on down and see us if you're in the area. Again, general uh, admission is tomorrow. Gets kicked off at 10 a.m. Hard to believe, Rhino, but... Little little financial news of interest today. Thirty years ago today, Black Monday, nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, of course, that's a name that's commonly given to severe and generally unexpected declines in the stock market, and that actually occurred thirty years ago today, October the nineteenth, nineteen eighty-seven. I was indeed around and do remember it well. And though the market, uh, in terms of the point drop, was only 508 points, we see swings like that on a regular basis now. But at that time, that represented a 20%, 20% decrease. So just to kind of contrast that in today's terms, was it Dow 30 or 35 years ago? Uh yeah, you're right. Thirty-five years ago. Thirty-five. My bad. My bad. Thirty-five years ago. Right. Nineteen eighty-seven. Thank you for correcting me. I just forgot the five there. Thank you. Yeah. Nineteen eighty-seven. Hard to believe that uh, that has been set that long ago. Honestly, but again, if we were to uh, relate that and compare that to today, if you think about it, that would mean a six thousand point some odd drop in a single day which would just be huge right if you think about it well a lot of fortunes would be wiped out a lot of nest eggs would be totally wiped out as was the case then although i think it's safe to say that you've got a whole lot more folks just average people other than just investors if you will and institutions that do have uh, some positions in uh, the stock market, in the equity markets. And so uh, today that would be total disaster. Now, since then, all kinds of circuit breakers, as they call them, have been implemented in the trading systems to prevent this sort of sudden and precipitous drop. Uh, it is estimated that losses back then were $1.7 trillion. In terms of dollars, $1.7 trillion worldwide losses on that particular day. I can't even, I'd have to think about what the math would be, but it's orders of magnitude more than that if we experienced a similar 20% uh, drop. So just really incredible uh, scenario to think about 35 years ago. I actually think I was playing golf in, in a charity event. Uh, and, you know, you didn't have all the sorts of instant communications that we have today. So I found out, like, after the event, you know, you didn't have a phone you could check to say, hey, what are the market's doing today and would have freaked everybody out. But nonetheless, in the meantime, 
we got the White House press secretary who says just be patient when it comes to inflation that the president's Inflation Reduction Act is coming to the rescue. So when asked, we've got some sound. I don't know if we have time to get it in now, but uh, she was asked, was Corrine Jean-Pierre, about when can Americans expect to see their cost go down, their cost of living go down. And her first response was, well, you know, 18 months ago, the president signed the American Rescue Plan. Right. 18 months ago. Well, it was 18 months ago when we started to see a rise in inflation and a rise in the price of gas. So maybe there's a connection to that. Does she not, can she not think logically in, in that respect? Because that is, that's the logic, right? Yeah, as soon as Joe Biden started implementing his policies, we started to see Americans hurt. Now, it was a short-term sugar high, right? Because he dropped helicopter money all over the country. And everybody said, yeah, look at these STEMI payments. Look at these um, unemployment benefits and all this COVID relief money and child care credits and all that sort of stuff. But it was all short-term, and all it did was just pump more money into uh, the money supply. And that, of course, has resulted in uh, the high inflation we're all experiencing. It's just amazing that, that this administration and their spokespeople can go in front of the American people and say such ridiculous, make such ridiculous uh, comments. And I'm not really sure uh, whether or not they will uh, ever, I guess, just be honest and truthful with the American public and say, yeah, this inflation is a real thing, and, and these policies that have been adopted and implemented by this administration are honestly just adding fuel to the fire, because that's exactly what it's doing. You've probably heard by now, folks, that Joe Biden has announced his intention to release more oil from the strategic petroleum reserves, another 15 million barrels. Now, again, just for perspective, we consume here in the United States about 20 million barrels a day, so that's two-thirds of one day, roughly. Uh, I guess that's three-quarters uh, of one day. And then that, uh, excuse me, globally we consume 100 million barrels a day, so you can do the math there. That's that's uh, 15% of daily consumption globally. So this is all politically motivated. This isn't what's in the best interest of this country. This is really not addressing the high price of fuel and oil and gas at the pump. This is just a, another short-term sort of rescue attempt to try to salvage what is really setting up to be a shellacking of the Democrats in the midterms. And i got to tell you, folks, I'm feeling more confident than I have in the past that the Republicans are going to flip the Senate. may only be one seat, but I feel feeling better about that. We'll discuss that later on in the program. Coming up next, Jim Johnson, the sheriff of Lee County. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios. We're in Tupelo, Mississippi at Celebration Village in the Tupelo Furniture Market for the Sanctuary Hospice. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. So. 
everyone midday super talk mississippi live from the tupelo furniture market we're here for the 20th annual celebration village proceeds benefiting sanctuary hospice joining us now in the element well studios in the tupelo furniture market jim johnson the sheriff of lee county sheriff thanks for coming on good morning thank you very much my pleasure i got the tour before we came on the air I'm just blown away at uh, how many uh, vendors and exhibitors are here. This is a very large building, as you well know, and uh, they've really turned out for this uh, great event for a great cause. It is, and they do this every year. It's amazing to the amount of people that uh, go into putting this thing together and then the amount of people that come and tour it. And, you know, we're just very blessed and thankful that we have this facility and Mr. Cleveland working with them to allow this to happen. Yeah, it's awesome. So... I uh, learned before we came on the program that the Sheriff's Department had a little hand in helping uh, get this thing set up for the event this weekend. Well, we do. You know, uh, our Lee County Inmate State Work Program, our county and state inmate work program, does a lot of nonprofit uh, that we're allowed to do, and it's state inmates that are housed there at our facility. And what we do for this particular event here is we help with the setup for about three days, and then we help with the takedown. So, okay. Um, you know, it's free of charge. We don't charge anything for that service, but it also gives the gives the opportunity for the inmates to give back to the community. Yeah, sure. Is is this something new, Sheriff, that you just you guys came up with? You've been doing this a while. Well, I've been sheriff for twenty years, and as long as Celebration Village has been here, okay. we've been doing it. So okay. you could count back how many years that was. So you're definitely playing um, uh, your department a direct role and making this thing a reality. I, I am, and, you know, it's good for the community. Sure. But, but my dad suffered cancer in 2006 and passed away in the hospice house. So it's a personal thing to me as well, you know, something that we can give back. It's always got a special place in my heart. But, you know, this is a community event. It's yeah. not just for, for myself, but it, it affects a lot of people, and it's a great cause, and anything that we can do to better our community, that's what we want to be a part of. Well, the northeast Mississippi, the Tupelo area, and the Appalachian area is really fortunate to have sanctuary hospice. We are very, very fortunate. You know, I hear people all the time, and I know personally, as I said with my dad, you know, it did it did provide a service for him in the latter years and the final ending of his life, but it was more of a service to the family to yeah. take a burden off of them that they couldn't meet. And so, you know, we are very, very blessed. Yeah. It, it sees a lot of people and meets a lot of needs. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, typically... It's the most difficult time ever in a family, honestly, when, you, when you've when you got a loved one that is uh, declining like that and you know that the end is near, uh, y- you need help. It's, it's a, a tax on you mentally and physically. You can't prepare for it. No. There's no way. And these people are so gracious and so kind, and, and the staff is just, they become family. Yeah. Even... even like I said, my dad passed away in 06, and I'm still connected with them. They still sure. call and check, and it's amazing to the job that they do. Yeah, it's uh, it, it really is, and, and it takes a special person to do that kind of work. It's a calling. Is no that doubt about it. No doubt about it. I, I had a similar experience with my father as well in 1998. And uh, I don't know what we'd have done without the hospice care, honestly. It was it was a godsend. And, and like I said, the, the folks are so dedicated to what they do and so 
empathetic and understanding of what the family and the loved ones are going through and and they sort of share that experience with you and it eases the burden but more importantly it it is a, a physical and a mental tax during that period it very much is and you know the fact that you just realize that you're not going through this alone and that there's someone there with you uh that kind of understands and and has been through this portion of life and can help you prepare for it you know the lord just puts these people in your path no doubt about it so tell us what's going on at the lee county sheriff's department well we stay busy uh (laughs) we don't have to advertise for business uh we have a lot going on but you know we're very blessed with the community that we have as you see with this event here this is just the kind of people that uh, that i get to serve and protect and i'm very honored and blessed to be able to do that yeah what about uh, your staff, your deputies, and so forth? How are you looking there? We're looking well. We were very blessed this year with our Board of Supervisors. They uh, they supported our budget that we asked. You know, I told them whenever we were talking to them throughout the year prior to the budget passing that, you know, money talks, and that's what it's about right sure. now is, is the salaries and trying to get the deputy salaries to a competitive uh, amount that we could, you know, not compete with someone else, but at least offer the same thing as someone else. And then, you know, when an officer gets out of the – out of college or gets out of the academy and they decide to go, you know, money is exactly what they're looking for, but they may settle for a job because of the money, but it's not exactly the one, what they want. They may yeah. work for a police department and wanted to work for a sheriff's office. So ours is now competitive. We took a 100-mile radius, and, you know, we're right up there with all of them. So yeah. we're very blessed with that. that yeah, staff. It, it seems like, uh, of course, all employers seem to be looking for, for employees, but uh, law enforcement uh, in particular has uh, really struggled with that. And I think a lot of that's just attributed to what you say, Sheriff, that it's just it's a function of, of salary and compensation. It is. And then, you know, the attack on law enforcement in that profession, yeah. you know, nationwide. Yeah. Um, I, I used to worry about every day getting up uh, and coming to work, and you'd think about, you know, this may be my last day, but you could live with that. This yeah. may be the day that somebody you takes You signed up life. for that. You signed up for it. You yeah. volunteered for it. But now you kind of get up and go to work. You think, if I do everything right and by the book, I'm still going to get in trouble. Yeah. And and that's that's tough. That's a tough sell. But, uh, you know, I still believe that there's more right than wrong no in doubt the world. About it. And we just have to keep our faith. Yeah. Is is this something you and the team and the, and the deputies, do you, you guys talk about this and try to work with each other on just working through this, this issue? Because... My experience, and I think most of the public's experience that, that's always impressed me, is that those in law enforcement, they're so stoical, they're so unemotional uh, when they're doing their job and they're public-facing. But they're still human beings, and they have real real feelings inside. I mean, it's just the way God made us. That's right. Uh, but they're able to kind of shield that as part of their duty, as part of their job. But you got to have some way to vent it, right? You, you, gotta, you need an outlet to, to kind of manage it. You do. And one thing that we try to create, and I learned this from my dad with the telephone company. I remember the telephone company was so family-oriented. Yeah. I mean, they, they did picnics. They did bingo. They did fish fries and sure. all. And we kind of brought that over into the sheriff's department that we, you know, when we interview someone, we want them to bring their family and their kids. Because when they go home at night and they talk about this call or this particular person they worked with, you know, the wife or the husband can understand, well, hey, that, I, I know those people. Yeah. And then you also, we have, a, we have a chaplain on duty that helps with the spiritual needs that, that is very involved and, you know, uh, hmm. very helpful when it comes to that. And, you know, in law enforcement, I, I'm sure it's a lot like the military. I never served in the military, but you're taught and, and you're trained that you're the answer to everything. Yeah. And so you don't realize, if you're not careful, that sometimes you are a problem that needs an answer. Sure. And so... 
we try to always mentally prepare people that, you know, you're not invincible. You know, talk talk to each other. Come to us and talk about it. And we have several outlets. Exercise is a big thing. We have an annual PT test. Uh, I mm-hmm. still go and run with the academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so physical fitness and spirituality, you have to involve all of it. Yeah. Or, or, you know, like you said, you're human. We put our pants on just like everybody absolutely, else. Does. Absolutely. Uh, what about the relationship with the Board of Supervisors? You guys uh, work pretty good together collaboratively we do. talked about approving your budget <laughs> hey that, that was a big thing and you know it you know with being an elected official the board the financial end of it is kind of what they do you, you know they kind of write you a check in october and say okay you got 12 months we're not giving you no more you better yeah. make it and yeah. so you know it but as far as a as far as a working relationship, not with the board of supervisors, with the police department, there's a lot of sheriff's offices and police chiefs that that don't get along. And ours, we're very blessed. We do. Um, uh, and the working relationship throughout our city and county, I think, is is something that's uh, something that people can look at and say, "Hey, that's the way we need to do it." Absolutely. What about uh, the legislature? The a session coming up, as it does every year in January. Anything in particular you you'd like to see them focus on from a law enforcement perspective? You feel like you need? Well, uh, you know what we ask, and we have a a good working relationship, even with our senators and representatives here. I was on the phone with one just prior to here, trying to get some inmates moved and all, and. Um, the only thing that we look for in representing the entire Sheriff's Association and through our two conferences and all is, you know, whenever you're making the law, you know, converse with your law enforcement people that's going to have to enforce that thing. Sure. And, and don't forget about the victim. Yeah. Whenever you're decriminalizing something or criminalizing it, make sure it, it's the whole purpose of that is the right thing to do. You know, if you're not careful, uh, I told someone before, my first 10 or 15 years in office, we were going down and trying to get laws passed to make it safer and everything else. But it seems like in the last four or five years, we've tried to keep laws from getting passed yeah. because the laws that were getting passed, we felt like were you know either decriminalizing something or helping the criminal more than it was the victim. Yeah. And, 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 of course, like I said, we're the ones that got to enforce this thing. Gosh, so, it seems like we victimize. Um, the victims and demonize the victims, I should say, and we've decriminalized crime. That's There's right. an effort in this country, and it's and it's kind of scary, but we we can't let that happen. It's, That's right. It's the number one primary uh, goal of government, responsibility of government, is to keep us safe. That's, That's right. right. That's what we need you guys to do. We appreciate your service. We appreciate you coming on, and certainly for uh, helping these folks here at Celebration Village. I think it's going to be a big weekend raising money for Sanctuary Hospice. Thanks for coming on, Sheriff. Appreciate well, thank you it. for the awareness, and we wish everybody a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy thanksgiving and to stay safe stay safe yes sir jim johnson the sheriff of lee county has been our guest here in the element well studios at the tupelo furniture market we're coming right back all proceeds benefits sanctuary hospice stay with us middays with gerard gibbert welcome welcome to our show on super talk mississippi okay now you have a good one Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Tupelo Furniture Market. We're up here for Celebration Village. This is quite an event that's held uh, annually. This is the 20th anniversary of the event. 
the uh, net profit, the net proceeds, benefit Sanctuary Hospice up here in northeast Mississippi. So we're glad to be here. Beautiful day, beautiful ride up from central Mississippi, uneventful, always the way I like it. Saw lots of deer frolicking around, as you could expect, on a rather chilly uh, fall morning. But anyhow, in the seat, ready to go. Oh, I almost forgot. Rhino, what day is this? Hump day. Yeah, dang it. I didn't get that in when we kicked off. Uh, Yeah, making it through the week here. Do we have another big weekend of football scheduled as well, right? A big weekend this past weekend, another big weekend coming up. We've got, uh, let's see, is it Mississippi State traveling to Tuscaloosa? Is that right? Playing Alabama, I believe, and Ole Miss headed down to uh, LSU, taking on the Fighting Tigers. You probably saw Coach Primetime Deion Sanders at Jackson State University on 60 Minutes. Did a great job with that, by the way, this past Sunday. He's doing big things at, at Jackson State. I think he's an asset uh, for the university and and for the city of Jackson as well. So back a little bit to the politics. Again, 20 days away, 20 days from mid, from the midterms. Democrats seeing the polls are drifting more in favor of the Republicans. They're pulling out all the stops. So Joe Biden says, hey, I'm going to go release another 15 million barrels of oil, which is really just de minimis, right? It's just insignificant going to do that in an effort to try to uh, reduce the price of gas, boost the supply and perhaps that would reduce the price of gas. One thing, though, is even though the price of gas has fallen somewhat over the last, uh, since its high of what, back in June, the price of diesel, right, Rhino, continues to climb. price of diesel, so there's, there are issues with the inventory of diesel. Uh, some articles I've read that, that uh, are propping up the price of diesel. Of course, diesel used in transporting goods and services we all buy. So I don't think releasing uh, oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves is going to necessarily have a deflationary effect. It might figure somewhat into the price of gas, right? It's a pump, but I don't know uh, beyond that. But folks are starting to ask questions. We may have some uh, sound here, Rhino, from Karine Jean-Pierre, the chief propagandist for the Biden administration. She was asked, hey, when can we expect this Inflation Reduction Act to actually start reducing the cost of goods and services Americans consume? Can you get uh, the Consumer Price Index uh, for September on Thursday? What does the administration expect from that? So you're talking about the CPI, the inf- uh, the upcoming number on, in- on inflation. So, look, you know, the president has made, uh, as far as his economic policy, he's made lowering costs uh, for the American people, bringing that, look, the inflation down, his number one economic priority, and that continues to be, uh, that continues to do that. We're going to, we know that we're, there's more work to do, uh, but we have seen some important progress for 
for the American people. A couple of things that I lay out. We, we, we've seen real disposable income and real consumer spending both increase in part thanks to the strength of our job market. Uh, gas prices are down over $1 per gallon since their peak this summer. That's an overall decline of 22%. And we're giving families a little bit more breathing room. I just talked about the Inflation Reduction Act that's going to lower costs uh, when, as we think about health care, you think about energy and, and health care premiums to be more specific. And, you know, here's the thing. And we've seen this this week, and we saw it last week, how Republicans in Congress, uh, as we know, voted against the Inflation Reduction Act. But the first thing that they want to do uh, is repeal the Inflation Reduction Act, which means that they would be playing into or supporting or lifting up these the wealthiest special interest groups. Why would you do that? Why would you take away an opportunity to lower costs for seniors? Why would you take out take away the opportunity to lower costs uh, on when it comes to energy? Why would you take away the opportunity to fight climate change in a way that we have not seen in an investment in a way that we have not seen? And so that's how we see uh, uh, kind of uh, the important progress that we've made. Clearly, we will be paying close attention to that data as it comes out. Oh, right. yeah. Got to fight that climate change. That's uh, very, very important. So uh, there's so much wrong in that diatribe of word salad there. I'm not sure where to start. But uh, how, how about this? The, the notion that we're going to give you money so that you can go buy something that you may or may not want, which is going to cost you more than what you're getting, so you're out of pocket, and then wait several years for the return on that investment as a, a tool, as an approach to curbing inflation clearly illustrates that this person doesn't understand exactly what is inflation. They just don't get it. So you hear what she's saying there is, we're going to give you money to go buy an electric hot water heater and upgrade your electrical panel and install electric appliances so you can shift off of those appliances that are powered with natural gas, right? Uh, we're going to give you money to go buy a $70,000 electric vehicle. This is what they're, they're calling inflation reduction. This is nonsense. That, uh, again, clearly, clearly illustrates you don't know exactly what inflation is. Too much money chasing too few goods. That's what drives inflation. You're giving people money, just dropping it out of helicopters again. Giving people money, deficit spending, even though they say, oh, no, the Inflation Reduction Act will reduce the deficit. And, of course, that, that presumes that these, uh, these additional taxes levied on corporations with this minimum 15% tax and the stock buyback tax, et cetera, will actually generate uh, sufficient revenue to cover these uh, expenses, these outflows, and then some. And that's just horse hockey as well. So it just blows me away. And then the Medicare stuff, which basically says we're, we're going to force the pharmaceutical companies to sell you drugs at a certain price, and all that's just going to be hunky-dory, and therefore that's reducing inflation. Well, no, that doesn't reduce inflation. Well, first of all, that's only, that only targets a, a set of people, 
a subset of the entire population, those that are on Medicare that are consuming drugs from the pharmaceutical companies. That doesn't address inflation. Uh, and then the climate change garbage as well, which is so far down on the list of concerns of Americans that it, it really doesn't even hardly get on the radar. But that's basically what she's telling you, that, yeah, we're going to reduce inflation by sending you money in the form of tax credits, which, which you can cash in, essentially, at the point of purchase to go buy a hot water heater. That is just nuts. And... They're peddling this stuff on the American people. I'm just not sure they're buying it. So much wrong in in what she said. So really nothing in there, because Democrats don't believe in this concept, nothing in her comments and her remarks or response there suggesting that any of this president's policies will actually boost supply, will actually foment an increase in supply. And that is what is so desperately needed in this country. And that's because you're taxing the people who produce the supply, produce these goods and services. You're increasing their taxes. You're signaling your intent to increase them more. You're constantly releasing new silly regulations. You're making it more difficult, more onerous, more of a, of a challenge uh, for the producers to produce more. They don't believe in that concept. They don't believe in supply-side economics. They only believe in, oh, it's all a function of demand and consumption, and we're just going to send money out to help these people with their consumption. And nothing in uh, her remarks that I detected talks about how we're going to get the price of groceries down in food. Did you hear anything in there, Rhino? I heard nothing uh, regarding that. And that affects all of us. We all got to eat. I didn't hear a thing about that. And so it just once again, I think, um, is an example of just how tone deaf this administration is. And, and it, it's pretty clear. They're desperate. They're panicking. They don't know what to do. You just got to hang on till next year. We're going to give you money to go buy an electric vehicle and a new uh, electrical panel, a hot water heater. How insane is that as the response to how they're addressing inflation? Later on in the program, we got to talk about what the Republicans got to do to rein in spending and what the cost of our debt is looking like now with these popping the interest rates. It is astronomical, the fastest-growing line-item expense in the entire federal budget. We'll step aside right here. Strott Karastasis, Sanctuary Hospice Board member and retired member of MSU Bulldog Club, next. Properly set. Systems the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone, midday Super Talk Mississippi. The Element Well Studios moved to Tupelo, Mississippi, the Tupelo Furniture Mer- Market, for the uh, 20th anniversary of Celebration Village, where the 
Proceeds Benefit Sanctuary Hospice. Joining us now, Strat Karastasis, Sanctuary Hospice board member and retired member of the MSU Bulldog Club. Strat, thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. I'm uh, thrilled. This is such a worthwhile venture, and uh, I'm looking forward to be for it to be except, exceptionally successful for the people at Sanctuary. I was talking earlier. I got uh, the tour of uh, everything being set up today here in the furniture market, I, I was just so impressed with the number of folks that come out and, and spend a lot of time and a lot of money setting all this up uh, for this event, and they know that it's for a, a great cause, but w- what just a, a great assortment and a display of fantastic business people and merchants here, uh, most of whom are in this local area. Yes, sir, and I think uh, it's really a great thing, not only for the uh the business people and sanctuary hospice, but it's also great for the the people who come through here. It kind of gets them in a little bit of a better spirit and a little bit of uh, excitement, generates some excitement for the holiday season that's coming up. And God knows we need all that we can get. So. No doubt about it. Yeah, and, and a fantastic facility. I mean, it's like perfectly suited for an event like this it's just a tremendous amount of vendors and and uh, other activities under under one roof and uh, that's wonderful so i'm excited so i'm, I'm told that uh, thousands perhaps expected uh, throughout the weekend the doors open tomorrow uh, at 10 hours 10 to 9 uh, tomorrow and Friday, and then 10 to 5 on Saturday. They're expecting big crowds. They, they, the times I've been, been fortunate enough to come, they have tremendous crowds. And, yeah. You know, and you just kind of have to kind of wait, wait your turn to get to a vendor. But uh, it's wonderful. That's awesome. So you're a, a board member of Sanctuary Hospice. How long have you been a board member? Well, I, I, I've recently... Uh, transitioned off but i was uh i think i was a board member for three years okay. and it's a tremendous organization and uh unfortunately or fortunately we had to use their services and uh they were tremendous people and uh, i'll never forget and never be able to repay all the kindnesses and uh the things they did for us during yeah. that terrible time in our lives but uh they somehow made it a little easier. Is that what kind of attracted you to joining the board? Your uh, personal experience. Well, they were kind enough to ask me to come on, but yes, for the uh, the time we had here with my wife, uh, they were just you, you can't imagine how nice they were, how friendly, how compassionate. Uh, even the community around Tupelo that I was fortunate to know some families around here, but they all kind of came out and supported us and lifted us up and in, in in prayers and in uh you know bring something to eat you know bring something to eat or, yeah uh it, it was tremendous it was really a, if that if an experience like that can be it was yeah i mean that's often the most difficult period of a person's life um certainly uh for the individual receiving the care of course but uh the family as well it, it's a huge burden and having somebody kind of by your side working with you through that that process through that period of time is pretty valuable. I, w- I wish I lived closer. I would volunteer, and it's just tremendous. It's just it's hard to explain to people, and the compassion, the care, the uh, the love they have, and I remember I remember walking in to visit my wife, and uh, you could hear the I think the chaplain at the time who was a, a lady was singing to one of the patients, you know, and I just said, gosh, this, wow. this is 
That's special people. Yes, special sir. calling. Spe- very special. They'll they'll have emeralds and rubies and their crowns made out of platinum. So yeah, no no doubt about it. All right, so. A uh, retired member of the MSU Bulldog Club. Tell me about that. Well, I was uh, I came to Mississippi State in '73 to start work, and uh, I was a graduate assistant. And I was in the athletic training, athletic training. So I did that until '93. Okay. So I was blessed to be able to. Uh, uh, I was with Houston, so okay. I, I was blessed to be in a lot of uh, a lot of tremendous uh, opportunities were granted to me and. Got to meet a lot of great athletes and befriend them and sure. take care of them and and uh, I just uh, I transitioned into the Bulldog Club because I think I needed a little bit of a a break. <laughs> they kind of you know they kind of wear you out. There was only two of us at the time, two trainers. So, wow. Uh, it was an awful. You know, people would always say, you know, I wish I had your job, and I said, you're welcome to it. On starting on Monday, you got to be there till we go to the game. So, uh, uh, but it was it, it's, it was a great. I, keep telling people i've been so blessed in my life and the people that i've come into contact not only in uh the students uh the student athletes but also the people in uh that are just mississippi state fans and friends and alumni and donors uh i keep telling myself i'm the wealthiest person i've ever heard of. that's I awesome just, i just can't liquidate my assets nor do i want to strat appreciate you coming on good luck to the bulldogs this weekend Big thank game you coming up yeah. <laughs> strat caritasis has been our guest here in tupelo we're up here for the celebration village great event kicking off tomorrow benefits go to the sanctuary hospice we're taking a break we've got steve holland coming up next Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. The Element Well Studios relocated to Tupelo, Mississippi today. We're at the Tupelo Furniture Market. A remote up here at Celebration Village, which gets kicked off here tomorrow. The proceeds benefiting Sanctuary Hospice. We're pleased to be here and be a part of that. Joining us now, Steve Holland, former member of the Mississippi House of Representatives. He represented District 16, which includes Lee and Monroe County. Steve, good to see you again. Good to see you. Good to be back on Super Talk. It's been a day. Yes, sir. I think y'all didn't like me. No, sir. We were here in April and you came. I on. did. You remember came, that? Yeah. We were over there at Ace Bowl Screw. We there uh, you go. always enjoy having you on the program. So this is quite the event. It's it's an incredible event for an incredible cause. Uh, I'm just going out as chairman of the board of Sanctuary Hospice House and. Uh, when a group of wonderful ladies came up with this concept some 16, 17 years ago, I was able to write legislation that allowed this and allowed uh, payments uh, for our cause here. And we built, I think, the second freestanding hospice house in hmm. Mississippi uh, right here in Tupelo. And it is just a gift from God to our people up here. Uh, my father went away there. I have, I'm have i in the funeral business, you know, so mm-hmm. I hear a lot about it. 
I got ribbed a little bit by somebody that said it's pretty interesting that the chairman of the board of a sanctuary hospice house is also the undertaker locally. <laughs> but there is no connection except I buried about 40 souls for nothing that died there without money. It's just a part of my contribution. Sure, that's much appreciated. Well, you do what you need to do in this world, and, and, and everybody deserves some dignity. But sanctuary is such a... Oh, it's such an incredible ministry, and it's been. I've been on the board ever since it started, or maybe after the first year I was on the board, and I've been on it ever since. And I love that service, and I love having a part in having a place for folks to cross over with yeah. dignity, with their family, their pets, anything they want surrounding them, and very peaceful surroundings. So it's a very spiritual ministry, and this Celebration Village is our largest fundraiser of the year. We we are a private, not-for-profit, faith-based uh, ministry, so it takes an incredible amount of money to run Sanctuary and to run it the way we run it and run it right. So we're just grateful uh, that you guys are up here and having us promote this. And, and Sanctuary uh, uh, Celebration Village, is, it's become an institution just about like Sanctuary Hospice House has in this community, and we are so grateful to all the people who support this cause and and. and in turn, support Sanctuary Hospice with their funding. Well, honestly, I, I, you're so right about that, Steve. I, I visited uh, with some folks here before we came on the air about the, just the finances and the economics of running Sanctuary Hospice House. Without this event and uh, its contributions, I'm not sure it's possible. Well, it's probably not. I mean, again, this is our by far our largest. We get a lot of donations, and it's pretty interesting uh, I, I think it has everything to do with the spiritual depth of Sanctuary Hospice House, but uh, uh, <laughs> we run it on a shoestring. Yeah, it's not like it's making gobs and gobs of money, and we turn no one away, and 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 that's the way we want it, and that's the way we're going to keep it. Uh, but uh, nursing shortages, the things that's happened in COVID, have really walloped us. And so uh, we are just, we couldn't do without this event, this yeah. single event. It, 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 it literally keeps the playing field going. Walking through here this morning before we came on the program, it really showcases the quality of uh, small businesses and, yes. and merchants and yes. retailers you have uh, in this area. It's incredible. Well, you know, I mean, this is the land flowing with milk and honey in Mississippi. <laughs> Let's face it, in Tupelo Lee County, we've been blessed. Uh, we have enjoyed incredible leadership over the years, over the decades, and and uh, we have blended agriculture with the industry back in the day when it needed to be blended when we were ahead of the game. And, and because of that, we've got a very prosperous county that's got a wonderful tax base and is the regional hub for all of northeast Mississippi. And we're proud of that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little politics here while we got you here. What is politics? I know. I you don't know anything about politics. that. So uh, my first question, I asked you this back in April, but I, I want you to respond to it again, is you're going to run again. You're going to jump back into it. Oh, my gosh. Look, <laughs> I served 36 years down in Armageddon. And... uh uh, no, I'm not going to run again. I, 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 there's a part of me that would like to be back in the process. You miss it now, don't you? Not much. Not much at all. <laughs> Some but aspects of it. I'll tell you what I miss. Uh, when when the issues get critical and nobody stands up to say anything or begs to differ or presents a middle ground for something, I miss being there because that was a role I played for 36 years. Yeah. I got labeled a liberal, and I was okay with that. Uh, I never thought I was that liberal. I was very progressive. 
Uh, but I was a bridge builder in my years, and nobody's building bridges now. We're just separated by this scorched earth, burn politics to the right or left, and nobody goes to the middle ground. And I don't see anybody, any rising star down there that wants to go to the middle ground. So I miss that part of it. But to miss a 185-mile drive every week to Jackson <laughs> and not be able to drink the water when I get there, hell no, I don't miss it. <laughs> so uh, you're, i got to tell you, your, your description there, I believe, is spot on that both sides have kind of gone into their corners there's no really no interest and and steve this is at all levels of government it's not it, just state it government. is from literally county city government all the way up to the nation's capital yeah. and it's it's the saddest discourse i've ever seen in my 67 years in in politics i never thought it would get here now i'll tell you democrats ran the legislature in 1983 when i went there but my god we clawed each other's eyes out over policy yeah we don't do policy anymore. It's top down. Everybody's told what to do. When these computers came to the legislature, I'm still with three college degrees, computer illiterate, and I'm going to stay that way because by God, in the free enterprise system, I've made enough money. I can hire somebody to run my computer. Uh, but it, it is. I'm not available, by the way. It, well, I appreciate it. i got somebody on staff, and they're doing <laughs> a wonderful job. Uh, it, it's just awful. I mean, I can remember when the computer situation came along and the leadership would put on all the desk how everybody would vote and who would speak and that just oh my god that was worse than scratching a chalkboard to me uh there's no vitality there anymore there's nobody to differ there's nobody to say uh you know this will affect the poor folks the working folks this group of folks uh anymore it's just whatever the leadership decides that's what the legislature does so i can't live with that at this age i'm i'm maturing out and uh I'm a long way from an old man. I'm very vigorous physically, and I feel good except for about seven knee surgeries in the last 14 years. There's nothing wrong with me that I know of. I may be in my business as a customer by night, but by God, I'm going to go in there feeling good if I am. So (laughs) I'm going to hang out. Now, let me tell you what I am going to do, I think. I just just don't sense that I can go back to the legislature, but my brother uh, has been a, a member of the Board of Supervisors for Either 12 or 16 years, I can't remember. And he's retiring. Lee so, County, in Lee County. County. Okay. And I may offer for that. Okay. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. When I started my political life, that's what I wanted to run for. Hmm. I just wanted to help run my county and and provide leadership in my county. And I've done that in, in so many ways, I like to think, over time. But it, it, I don't have to do that. Sure. There's no guns at my head. Uh, I mean, I'm getting my purge check every month. I, I work in the free enterprise system, and I'm doing okay. Uh, but there's some things that I'd like to see done in Lee County that okay. I think will even put us more over the edge, the cutting edge of political leadership and economic and social and and quality of life leadership. And that would be a good venue for that. I mean, the Lee County budget's about $90 million. Yeah. So uh, that's not pocket change. I dealt in budgets. I was on the appropriations committee the whole time I was in the legislature. So I know a little bit of something about budgeting. I can stay in my home at night. I can run my business, and I can still serve the public. So if I do anything, that's what I might do. Well, that's interesting. You're not announcing that today, are you? Uh, Officially. Well, not officially, just unofficially. Okay. (laughs) 
Well, that'll work. We'll see what happens. I, got I, you. I, I don't know. You I got lost you. my mother. It'd be two years Thanksgiving, yeah. and oh, how I've missed her. And I'm the only namesake left in the business now. And, and my business is a, a part of Steve Holland. It's the biggest part of Steve Holland. It's my ministry that I've had for 50 years, the 14th of May next year. And so I, I've got to make sure that it's guarded and protected. And I think the supervisor role would be the perfect fit for that. Okay. Any predictions about the midterms coming up? 20 days, less than a month. You thought about that? I'll tell you what. Nobody believes this, but a lady came in the funeral home yesterday, and she says, did you hear so-and-so on the news? And I said, ma'am, I walked out of the Capitol in January of 2020, and I quit making news at that point. And by God, I hadn't watched the news. I don't know what's going on anywhere in the world. Uh, I just mind my business and mind my farm and, and, and I'm involved in so many civic things here, but now I don't know what's going to happen in midterm. It's going to be pretty interesting. Again, people are confused politically. They don't yeah. like what they're seeing, but, right. but there's no middle ground for anywhere to go. So anyway, we shall see. Coming up pretty soon. Steve, always a pleasure having you on. Appreciate good, it. Good to see you. Yes, Y'all sir. Come back to Tupelo now. It's yes, sir. Money. Steve Holland, former member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, has been our guest. We're at the uh, Celebration Village for Sanctuary Hospice. We're coming right back. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. The rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in Tupelo, Mississippi today for the Celebration Village event. Is raising money for Sanctuary Hospice House. It's a great event, and this place is really incredible. It's the Tupelo Furniture Market. All the vendors, retailers, that are all getting set up today for the big event that gets kicked off tomorrow, uh, 10 to 9, Thursday and Friday, are the hours for Celebration Village. Saturday, it's 10 to 5, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., $10 at the door gets you admission, and there's a lot of stuff to browse through and, more importantly, to buy, to pick up, to help uh, these retailers, and to help this great cause, the Sanctuary Hospice House. We are so pleased you're joining us today on the ceasefire text line. Johnny and McComb says if interest rates actually in, uh, the increase in interest rates, I believe is what Johnny meant to say, actually increases inflation. What it certainly does from the standpoint of the, the cost of goods and services that are financed and, and also keep in mind that lots of the producers of those goods and services, when their costs, their input costs go up because their financing costs go up. And a lot of companies uh, incur debt and uh, take out loans and, and uh, receive loans from, from banks, which are interest-bearing, of course, and when those cost of that money that financing goes up absolutely right that figures in to the cost of the goods and services being produced so here's the deal though folks the uh as i said before we went to break at the at the top of the hour we've got rising interest rates so i think everybody knows about that 
that's pretty uh, pretty obvious. But it is expected that this rise in interest rates at the current level that we are sitting right now, if that's if that stayed constant, would cost us about eight trillion dollars. Eight trillion dollars over the next decade. Eight eight trillion dollars. It's hard to believe, but based on the trajectory that we are on, and also as a result of interest rate increases, our debt service, our debt expense, talking about the U.S. Treasury, the federal government, which is the taxpayers, you the citizens, your cost of servicing that debt, which is now at $31 trillion, is the fastest rising line item expense in the entire federal budget. I don't think that should come as a shock. I think it's just something to be aware of when you incur a large amount of debt, as we have. That debt's not locked in on some sort of long-term borrowing uh, instruments where the interest rate is constant. It's constantly terming out and being refinanced, and when it's being refinanced, it's it done so at higher interest rates. So this is all costing us money. There's just no... Uh, nothing coming from the, from the left, and not a whole lot from the right on this issue. Uh, there was a there's lots of articles now getting published of recent about a proposal from Speaker of the House in waiting, shall we say, Kevin McCarthy of the Republicans, as as looks like the case prevail in flipping the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi's out, and the heir apparent on the Republican side appears to be minority leader Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California. And he says that if Republicans win control of the House, which is where spending bills originate, that the GOP will actually use raising the debt ceiling, the debt limit, as leverage to force Democrats to the table to talk about cutting spending. And that could include cuts to Medicare and Social Security. But the way that that, that is likely, that likely would play out, talking about cuts to Medicare and Social Security, is that there would be an increase in the eligibility age. Uh, it's, it, but, the, but the Democrats are, are running around claiming that Republicans plan to cut your Medicare and Social Security, which is actually not true, technically speaking. The, the plan is, is to raise the, uh, the time at which, the, the age at which one could qualify to begin receiving those benefits. It, it, that's the proposal. Now, Senator Rick Scott of Florida has actually proposed to sunset all federal programs after five years, which essentially means unless they're renewed from a legislative perspective, they would expire. Now, that would be crazy with respect to Social Security and Medicare, but Joe Biden has run around telling everybody that, that the Republican plan is just to essentially uh, kill Medicare and Social Security. Nobody's actually said that. That would be political suicide. But you got to at least... Uh, take some consolation in the fact that Rick Scott and uh, also I believe it's Ron Johnson in Wisconsin who's running for re-election to the U.S. Senate who, who is leading in the polls over a one of the most radical candidates in the field of 
senatorial candidates, former lieutenant governor of Wisconsin, Mandela Barnes, who is honestly a card-carrying communist that not only wants to defund the police, he's one of these people that totally wants to totally get rid of the police and empty out all the prisons, uh, just for starters, of some of his crazy ideas. But both of these senators, Rick Scott and Ron Johnson, are at least are talking about it, saying, we we got to talk about the Social Security and Medicare because it's going broke. And we're doing nothing uh, to improve the solvency of those programs. And, and there are all kinds of ideas and approaches. But at a minimum, it's got to be talked about. But there's no, there's no appetite on the part of Democrats to even come to the table to discuss it. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at this article here in the Fiscal Times. Rhino, the title is Republicans Plan Showdown Over Social Security and Medicare. Showdown. Well, I don't know if I would call it a showdown, but so bottom line is because uh, Representative McCarthy, likely the next Speaker of the House, is saying, hey, we're going to talk about this uh, raising the debt ceiling, which has just become a rubber stamp. Oh, guess what? To keep the government just where it is, just a continuing resolution, meaning the spending just continues on the existing path and trajectory, we got to raise a debt ceiling. That's how we got $31 trillion in debt, because nobody will actually talk about, hey, at some point we got to say no. So uh, it, at least Kevin McCarthy's saying, we're going to make this an issue, an issue. And uh, Democrats are going to have to come to the table. We're going to have to discuss reigning in spending. So with respect to Social Security, for example, don't forget that I think tomorrow the Social Security Administration will announce its cost of living adjustment for next year. That's expected to be about 8.7%. That is the largest single-year cost of living adjustment in 40 years, four decades. And that is driven by, it's triggered by a feature in the law that says, that Social Security benefits are increased as a result of uh, CPI increases, inflation increases. Well, we're certainly experiencing that. Uh, everybody is aware of that. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad policy. I'm just simply saying that well, we don't have any money to pay for that. They just lap that onto the debt is essentially what happens. So we'll see where all this goes. I, I'm just pleased at least that somebody's talking about it because heretofore it was considered toxic and and uh, uh, political liability to even discuss the so-called third rail in politics, which is Social Security and uh, Medicare. So Nancy Pelosi is accusing the GOP of taking huge risks in order to cut important social programs. And this, I think, once again comes down to what is the role of government? And there's clearly no consensus on that. She says, quote, House Republicans are openly openly threatening to cause an economic catastrophe in order to realize their obsession with slashing Medicare and Social Security. Now, the obsession is not with slashing it. The obsession is propping up its solvency so that it is there for those who are paying into it today, but won't reach eligibility age for some time. That's what this is about. This isn't slashing it. It's it's just all they're always so disingenuous, whatever it takes, right, to get reelected. And uh, says 
Uh, let's see, House Budget Committee Chair John Yarmouth, a Democrat from Kentucky, he says, holding the full faith and credit of the United States hostage to implement an extreme and unpopular agenda is not governing its desperation. And what he's saying is, the full faith and credit basically is saying, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, make you guys come to the table before we just rubber stamp an increase on the debt ceiling. And if they don't increase of the debt ceiling and spending stays the same. It is true then that the federal government would not be able uh, to make its interest in principal payments on debt, and that in fact would cause a, a global collapse of the economy. But that's not what's going on here. It's just getting people around the table to talk about this very serious problem that's affecting every American. Every American. We'll step aside for a break right here. Once again, we're in Tupelo, Mississippi at Celebration Village for. Sanctuary Hospice House. We're coming right back with more talk. We've got Lisa Hawkins, chair of Celebration Village and owner of Room to Room Furniture at 1150. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi in Tupelo, Mississippi today at the Tupelo Furniture Market for Celebration Village. What an event this is shaping up to be. It gets kicked off uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. The hours 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Thursday and Friday, Saturday, 10 to 5 uh, Ten bucks for admission at the door. I think eight dollars if you buy a ticket in advance. You can come browse through all the great merchandise on display. So many of these um, vendors, retailers, stores from around the area are here participating in the event. And the profits made from the event go, of course, to Sanctuary Hospice House. So a great event for a great cause. Come on by and enjoy it. So... One of the things that Corrine Jean-Pierre said in that soliloquy we played played earlier where she was responding to, hey, when's this Inflation Reduction Act going to actually kick in and start to reduce inflation? Because there's no evidence that that is occurring or has occurred thus far. And, of course, she pointed the fingers at Republicans and once again said Republicans just care about tax breaks for uh, there's wealthy special interest groups, which is just so ridiculous every time that comes up. I don't exactly know what that means. Uh, I don't think she does either. But something that we should be aware of is that the, the Trump tax cuts, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, signed into law in 2017, Keep in mind that the individual tax provisions, the tax cuts in that law, expire after calendar calendar year 2025. The corporate tax adjustments in the law remain permanent. And this is, again, the way the sausage has to be made in order to keep the numbers uh, under a certain threshold so that the Senate parliamentarian 
approves the legislation for passage under the Senate reconciliation rules. Remember, as we've discussed before, legislation, any kind of revenue and spending legislation is always scored by the the um, CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, and it is scored on a 10-year basis. So, uh, and that is what the parliamentarian also analyzes to determine if the legislation is eligible to be passed with a simple majority in the Senate as opposed to a supermajority, 60 votes. So that's why they had to put these expiration, this expiration of the individual tax cuts in there. If they would have extended those out for the entire 10-year duration, uh, based on CBO's projections, would not have been underneath the threshold. So this is coming up, and this is going to be a huge battle, huge battle, epic proportions here in 2025 because the GOP, of course, wants to expand the tax cuts and even further than where they are, and at a minimum renew them, whereas the Democrats don't. What they want to do, I believe, is they want to further cut at the lower levels of income with these, in the form of credits, the extended tax credits and health care, Obamacare subsidies and all that sort of stuff, and more green credits just like we got. Uh, I think that's just a down payment, honestly, on what they want to do to just give people money to go green, honestly, in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which is really more of a climate change bill. Um, so I, that's coming up in 2025. What Democrats want to do is dramatically increase taxes on corporations and exponentially increase taxes on the higher levels of income earners uh, in this country. We already have uh, over 50% of the households in this country in tax year 2020 paid no federal income tax. We got half the households that don't really contribute from a federal income tax. And, in fact, a good number of those received money back. I'm not talking about a refund. I'm talking about just money that they're entitled to, whether they had a tax liability or not, under present tax law. So what their plan is to do is to, is to increase that number of households that pay have no tax liability, pay no taxes, have no skin in the game, and increase those on those at the higher level. That's also the plan, their plan, to address the insolvency issue in Social Security and Medicare. They want those with higher incomes to pay more in the Social Security, more in the Medicare. Then they want to apply means tests so that the people who are going to pay more into it would not be eligible for it when they retire because they would, they would be means tested. It is just it is brazen wealth redistribution. That's what it's all about. And honestly, so are all these these credits that Jean-Pierre was talking about, the green uh, energy credits. Those are being paid for by higher taxes on corporations. Well, at least that's the way it's planned. I'm not convinced it's going to work out that way. But that's, that's the way it was mathematically presented and scored and the way it passed. So this is something that's looming as well as the expiration of the individual provisions. Now, a lot of people say, well, that won't affect me. And i, I got to tell you, do your, do your homework there. Do your math. I've done countless uh, examples here. Not really examples, but, <clears throat> pardon me, real, real life scenarios where folks have provided their information or I've just 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 kind of entered 
information that would align with the typical household. And there are models out there that will compare the before the Trump tax cuts and after. And even though you get lots of leftists that say and Democrats say, oh, those only benefited the rich special interests, that is just categorically false. That is totally untrue. Get this as well, folks, because of our law. Uh, and this hasn't happened in a long time because inflation hasn't been a thing, but the IRS will be raising the tax brackets and the standard deduction by 7% uh, to reflect higher inflation. So the standard deduction and the income thresholds, the brackets where the tax rates are levied, that's all going up. So, for example, the top marginal rate of 37% will apply to individual income above 578000 uh, in couples income above 693, those thresholds are up 7%. And you, you just factor that all the way down through the income brackets. So what that means is that f- folks are making more money. It's, it's to protect against the bracket creep. Your, your wages generally are thought to be going up during an, a period of inflation. Uh, but your tax, taxes go up as well, so this this tries to alleviate the, the, the bracket creep. That's the reason for that provision. Now, honestly, it's also inflationary because that means you're going to have theoretically more disposable income. It's a question of whether or not that is offset and countered by a higher, higher cost of living, of course. So you got to keep that in, into consideration as consideration as well. But... You know, um, on the ceasefire text line, we get Department of Revenue loving this inflation and sales tax income. Yeah, the inflation certainly does boost sales tax income because that the sales tax rate is levied on retail sales, and retail sales are up simply as a result of inflation. But keep in mind, expenses are up as well. So uh, operating municipal governments, which uh, operate with a diversion of sales taxes on the sales in the municipality within the jurisdiction of the municipality. I mean, their costs are up. Same at the county level with respect to property taxes, ad valorem taxes, that is the primary source they receive. And then at the state level, yeah, we're enjoying really tidy surpluses right now, but I'm not sure if that's going to continue. Our state... I think, fortunately, doesn't go too crazy to the upside when the economy is booming, but it also uh, doesn't really fall too drastically when you have a pullback in economic activity. And I think that's just a result of the makeup of our economy. We're not too reliant on any single industry, not not as affected, but it's certainly something to, to keep in mind that, uh, we're headed for what most economists consider to be rather turbulent times in the form of a, uh, a recession. And, in fact, Corrine Jean-Pierre got asked that question, Rhino. You know, the investment banks and economists are saying there's now a 100% chance of a recession in 23. What do you think about that? And, of course, their answer was, Joe Biden is focused on this problem every single day. He is? Doing what exactly? I think we're out of time in, in, in this segment pretty soon, but we've got a clip we'll play for you uh, before the program's done today of Joe Biden when he gets asked this question. You, you've probably seen this by now, folks, but he's munching down on an ice cream cone. You know, 
just leave the – I could see a bowl. I mean, I hate to be like this, a bowl with some ice cream and a spoon maybe, and you kind of pause and put your bowl down. But the guy's just chomping on the <laughs> You've seen that, Rhino? It's too- oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so unbecoming of a president, and there's something to be said for that image, folks. You've got to keep that in mind. We're going to step aside for a break right here, middays in Tupelo, Mississippi, for Sanctuary Hospice. When we come back, we've got Lisa Hawkins, chair of Celebration Village and owner of Room to Room Furniture. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Bumping us into this segment here on Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We're at the Tupelo Furniture Market for the 20th anniversary of Celebration Village with funds, of course, helping Sanctuary Hospice House. Joining us now, Lisa Hawkins, chair of Celebration Village and owner of Room to Room Furniture. Lisa, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having us. Well, I got the tour. I've been bragging about it this morning, this uh, facility and the way it's set up, and all these, these vendors here, retailers, are getting ready to open up. It's really something. I'm just surprised at how many there are. I mean, it's it's like... Going to two big shopping malls in one. That's exactly right. In a little con- uh, contained area, so you can see a lot of things, a lot of different things. But uh, we want to thank VM Cleveland with the furniture market because he provides all this for us. Yeah. He's very involved in Sanctuary. Matter of fact, he's the chairman of uh, Sanctuary, okay. our board. Mm-hmm. And then I learned also that uh, the sheriff. Uh, gets involved as well in helping get all this set up. I love Mason Jim Johnson. <laughs> yeah, Sheriff Johnson is great. We cared for his father uh, years ago, and he has been very instrumental in helping us with the, uh, the inmates that volunteer. They have to volunteer to come, yeah. and uh, they set up all the pipe drape and do lots of things, and we feed them good. Yeah. Well, it looks awesome, and you can tell that uh, the the those that are here that are exhibiting and uh, here to sell stuff, uh, they go out of their way to really make it look like kind of a portable store, if you will. I mean, the displays are very impressive. Very much so. It's uh, it's it's really an amazing project. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So it is my understanding, Lisa, that uh, the hospice is uh, something that was your brainchild. Is that right? Well, I was one of the founders with uh, with Nancy Collins and a whole group of other ladies uh, and Joe Bailey and a, a mission team. But Celebration Village, I was the first chairman. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I have the, the gift of fundraising, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, that's quite uh, the gift, no, I can I'm, assure you, and you should no, be proud of that. No. Very got, important. 
great volunteers. Everybody comes together. North Mississippi is a really special place uh, because Sanctuary was a pilot project for uh, Congress. Okay. We are the uh, first freestanding hospice in the United States, and we had to uh, lobby Congress to be able to um, function. Really? Yes. I mean, some regulatory challenges you had to deal with? Yes, very much so. So they created the pilot project so that we could um, be be the first one. Wow. And now it's across the nation. Yeah. Yes. It's it's become a more a more uh, mainstream situation. I, so fortunate in this area to have such a facility, and of course the fantastic staff that that make that work. Uh, there's probably not a person listening to us that hadn't had to deal with the loss of a loved one, and and then their uh, final days, weeks, months, whatever it is. It's a very challenging and trying time. It's a lot of burden yes. uh, on the family for sure. Well. I'm actually a nurse. Okay. And I taught, taught nursing school years ago, and I went through the death of my stepfather. Uh, matter of fact, it was November 4th, 2000, and uh, we had a difficult experience. You know, as a nurse, my job was to get people well. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different type of care when you're caring for somebody that you can't get well. Yeah. And it's a very emotional project that um, so many people don't um, can't deal with, like when when your loved one won't eat. There's there are different things that happen uh, in the death process that you need a special kind of care. So that's what sanctuary is all about, whether in your home or at the beautiful uh, yellow house. Yeah. So uh, there's a bit of a contrast, is there not, between the home hospice care, but then having care in a facility that's designated, designed for that purpose. Well, the difference is is the patient's and family's wants and needs. Okay. Some people want to be home and can be cared for in their home. They like the surroundings. But what we do at the house, we try to make it as home-like as possible. You can bring your pets, your family. There's no limitation on visiting. Uh, we have the gardens. Uh, we try to make the rooms special and home-like. Uh, living rooms. We have home-cooked meals. Uh, so we try to make that very, very special. Sometimes it's not appropriate to care for somebody in your home. Yeah. Um, it, you just don't have the ability or, or, or the, the medicine sometimes that are required. So yeah. home hospice is for whoever wants I got that. You. Yeah. The people that uh, work in hospice, though, it's a special breed. It's a mission. It's not a job. And Sanctuary, we were founded as a nonprofit. There are, there are for-profit hospices and there's non-profit hospices. And that's what I believe sets us aside. We don't limit any kind of supplies, medications, um, services. You know, we try to do the very best. And that's why Celebration Village is so very, very important. We need to uh, cover a gap of about $1.8 million. Okay. And we don't cover it all here, but this is a, a major point that we're able to uh, play that hole. Well, it looks fantastic. I'm sure you're going to have a, a, a fabulous event, a big turnout. Folks are going to spend money. It's going to keep getting bigger and better, and it's for a great cause. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Lisa. And thanks thank for you. thanks for your work in this area. It's very important. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll step aside for a break right here on Middays. It is top of the hour. When we come back, we've got the mayor of Tupelo, Mississippi, Todd Jordan. Oh, did you bear? Oh, let me be. Oh, let him be your teddy bear. I just want to be your teddy bear. 
Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi, rocking into hour three of the program. We are in Tupelo, Mississippi, for Celebration Village. It's being held at the Tupelo Furniture Market. It benefits Sanctuary Hospice House here in the Tupelo area. Joining us now, the mayor of Tupelo, Mississippi, Todd Jordan. Mayor, thanks for coming on. Hey, glad to be here. Always glad to, to be here and, and tell the state. Everything about Tupelo. You got a lot of good stuff going on, but let's first talk about this event, uh, Mayor. You got to be proud of this. I, I think this really speaks to the uh, the generosity and the concern that exists within uh, the citizens of Tupelo and the surrounding area for their fellow, uh, their brothers and sisters that are going through a very difficult period of their, their lives when they're passing over to the other side. And uh, it, it is a tough time for families, but hospice plays an important role of kind of softening the difficulty. And, and they come out to help raise money because without it, I don't think those services are possible. That's right, and this is a great event. It's gotten bigger every year, the 20 years in its existence, and, you know, it's just a great community-wide event. And like you said, I mean, we're a very caring community, and we want to do everything we can uh, for this event. And the Sanctuary Hospice House, and I I think if you ask 80% of the people that live in Tupelo, they know, have a loved one or friend that's been through that hospice house or home hospice, and you know, it, it it's just a great organization, and and I've never heard a bad word about the workers, the volunteers, the facility, or anything that that people care for as when we're there. And and blessed to have this facility in the Tupelo Furniture Market. Folks are are very generous in allowing them to uh, to set up in here. I went through here this morning, Mayor. It's like I said earlier, it's like walking through two malls, two shopping malls all under one roof. It's Christmas come early for a lot of people, <laughs> and that's what that's what this is about. And, and, you know, people come and spend money, get Christmas gifts, Thanksgiving stuff, and it's just a great, great organization. It really is, really is. All right, tell us what's going on here. I know you've always got lots of, lots of good stuff going on. I tell you what, before I ask you that question, you know, we've had lots of trouble back in Jackson with the water situation. That That's obviously made national news. Give us the status of your infrastructure. It's it's a big part of operating a city, obviously. It is, and fortunate for the city of Tupelo and, and former leaders, back in the 80s, the city of Tupelo decided to uh, try to add a quarter percent sales tax to their water. So we have probably the best water in, in the city in the state of Mississippi. Okay, over a hundred million dollars has been raised to keep that keep that up. We have to. Uh, redo our our station about every 20 years so that quarter percent never comes off it just continues for maintenance and if you take it off and you don't maintain it you get what you get in a lot of other places which is sub substandard water and sewer and things like that but you know our arpa funds we we've turned in for a match for eight million dollars hopefully we'll the get state six, match that's right mm-hmm. 16 million out of that uh, our water and light department has got a srf loan for 18 million dollars so you know over the next four or five years hopefully we'll put about 40 million dollars in the ground okay and i mean because it's 
it's never ending. You, you've got to. It's constant maintenance is required to stay up. It is, and if it, you know, people, we always have an aging infrastructure. I mean, sure. If we started to redo it right now, by the time we finished, it'd be start aging. over so, again. That's right. So <laughs> we fix the ones that are broken, and and uh, you know, right now with the ARPA funds, you know, we couldn't be happier with the state of Mississippi coming through. And uh, and offering that match, and you know, it's some things that we're going to be able to do, high, uh, big ticket items that we wouldn't generally be able to do. Some of our stormwater drainage and things like that. So, you know, we hope to get all that match, and you know, we're we're not spending any of it on anything but uh, water and sewer. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, there were some restrictions, of course, on the money, but uh, that, that's such a major asset. Uh, for a city that, uh, like I said, requires constant maintenance, and if you get behind on it, it's almost impossible to catch up. It? it is impossible. It's, it's impossible. It's almost impossible to keep up if you don't get behind. Yeah, that's true. Because just like uh, you know, the last couple of months has been so dry. The ground is shifting. It's breaking water lines. So we, we've had a lot of maintenance over hmm. the last few months. Interesting. What else you got going on? I know last time you and I visited, I think we were over at Ace Bolt Screw, and and uh, we stayed downtown. Our our Super Talk crew did the, the evening before. Uh, always such an impressive downtown and uh, here in Tupelo. But it, you really got all the ingredients for a great quality of life. We do, and of course the the new hotel Tupelo opened up in February, and you know com- it's awesome. Competition is always good. Uh, <laughs> Hilton Garden Inn is is committed to a total renovation. Okay, across the street we're hearing about six million dollars on that renovation. Uh, we just changed over our Bankrupt South Center to yeah. Cadence yep. Arena. That is going really good as far as our new conference center we're getting a lot of statewide conventions uh, we just put a new ice plant in our arena uh, it was aging and, and couldn't uh, couldn't make ice so we had disney on ice last week okay. we're having to drain that ice we're having the north america north american mennonite conference in huh. and that's going to be about eleven thousand people wow. in the city of tupelo i think every well, i heard every a uh, hotel room within 60 miles is booked. So well, I was going to ask you if you had enough accommodations we, for that. We don't, but they're booked all the way to Olive Branch. So so it there'll be an extra 11,000 people here. As soon as that's out, we got to put our ice back in. Uh, we'll have uh, public skating through Thanksgiving. So it's, you know, the arena's doing really well, and downtown is too. Yeah, so that speaks to the, uh, the economy of the city of Tupelo. You've also got great health care and great schools here as well. We don't do. You? you know, the North Mississippi Medical Center always is is very supportive of the city of Tupelo. Actually, we have a meeting this month on a new development of theirs. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, the uh, our tourism tax, our 2% tourism tax had a record year. And, uh, you know, the fortunate thing for that is they have committed about $1.3 million to a new pickleball complex. Okay. And we will have the largest outdoor, the most outdoor uh, pickleball courts in North Mississippi. <laughs> How about that? Well, I know you've got great parks and rec as well and, and host a lot of events. It brings people in here from all over the state and region. We do, and we have the state uh, swim meet here uh, Friday and Saturday. It'll bring a lot of people in, and, and we had uh, the biggest southeast zone meet we've ever had, about 700 swimmers couple of months ago and you know i can't say enough about our parking wrecks but it, again 
we have to keep up with maintenance. Sure. We continue to spend a lot of money to because we are competing with other no doubt. areas like Oxford Auto Branch and, and people like that for regional and statewide uh, events. So we always maintenance, and you know it doesn't take long for something to get ten or fifteen years old and yeah. have to completely redo it. Legislative session, hard to believe, right around the corner again. Anything in particular that you're talking to your senators and reps about? Uh, you know, that we, you need? we got a lot of money last year. I say a lot. We got some money for our state roads and things like that. And there's going to be several phases to that. Uh, Ballard Park is going to be several phases. Uh, we're looking to do a, a, a ADA playground, uh, okay. that's unlike anything in this area. But we've got the money for our, our infrastructure. Now we need to get start getting trying to get some money for uh, the playground and things like that. We have an outdoor stage. We'd like to put some type of amphitheater seating there. So you know we're going to ask a lot of the phase two uh, that we that we got last year. Yeah. What about uh, the financial status of the city itself, Mayor? With inflation, of course, is affecting everyone. Uh, you're seeing likely an increase in, in diversions, but you've also got an increase in expenses as well. That's right. I, I think the fuel this year hit us pretty hard. We had several budget amendments just for fuel, and that was police and fire, uh, the vehicles that stay on the road the most. But right now, we, we're pretty good financially. We, we, we've got the highest bond rating you can have. We've got about 18 or $19 million in the bank that we can borrow against that if we need to. Okay. And we may have to because, you know, we just don't want to keep borrowing money, uh, binding and things like that. But you know, we just opened up a new fire station. That was uh, that was exciting. That was the first fire station we built since the 90s and wow. replaced one that was built in 1958. So we wow. we need to build a new fire station about every five or six years uh, for about the next 40 years, I think. <laughs> what are you hearing before we wrap up here? What are you hearing from the business community? Or how, how are they feeling about the, the economic conditions? You know, I talk to bankers all the time, and, and they're still positive. Their, their commercial lending is still uh, still really good, even though the interest rates on residential. We've had record years last couple of years as far as permits on a rec- residential. So you know, right now I could I would say economically the city of Tupelo is doing really well. It's it seems to be kind of localized, regionalized when you when you just look across the country in, in terms of uh, how economic conditions are impacting them, and it seems like you you see more resilience in areas where they're not so dependent on one particular industry. They've got a pretty diverse economy, and you, you have that here. We do. We have the banking, we have the hospital, we have Cooper Tire, which is now Goodyear. Goodyear is uh, looking to spend tens of millions of dollars on new technology. That's awesome. Because we have to, you know, now they have to start making tires for electric vehicles. Right. So, you know, it's just a diversity More investment. Now. That's yeah. right. Mayor, always good to see you, sir. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Glad yes, to be sir. here. Mayor Todd Jordan, the mayor of the city of Tupelo, Mississippi, and that's where we are today for Celebration Village. Proceeds benefiting Sanctuary Hospice House. We'll step aside for a break. Tawana O'Rear, Sanctuary Hospice COO at 1250. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from Tupelo, Mississippi, at the Tupelo Furniture Market. We're here for Celebration Village. That event gets kicked off tomorrow, and it's all about raising money for Sanctuary Hospice House, a great organization that uh, helps out those families and patients going through end of life and uh, really does soften some of the burden experience there. Anybody that has been involved with a loved one who has uh, essentially been diagnosed as terminal and and as Lisa Hawkins, the chair of Celebration Village, a former registered nurse, said, it's it's kind of the nature, of course, of healthcare professionals to cure people, to make them better, to heal their sickness. But this is a situation where you kind of have to put on a different hat. And your job, in, in the case of these healthcare professionals, is to try to, you, you know, it's it's inevitable, and, and the job is to try to ease the blow and just make it uh, a little little more comfort in those waning uh, days and weeks. So appreciate their service, a special breed for sure. So Nancy Pelosi uh, goes on with, uh, I believe it was Andrea Mitchell over there at CNN. <laughs> there was a poll. Here, here's what she's talking about. we got some sound we'll play for you in a minute. But there was a poll in the New York Times of all places. So this New York Times poll was conducted last week. Likely voters. The question, very simply, who's your your preferred candidate from a party perspective? In the upcoming midterms, for uh, and 45% said a Democrat candidate, just generically speaking, not a specific candidate. 49% said a Republican candidate. And this is the New York Times now, so you've got to believe that most of the folks they're polling typically vote Democrat. So Nancy Pelosi was questioned about this and also questioned about things that Voters are in poll after poll are saying are their priorities, which, quite frankly, very simply, are inflation slash the economy and crime. Just right there at the top. Listen to Nancy here. Well, something's wrong with the audio. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, But... Nancy Pelosi basically dismisses this poll. She dismisses a New York Times poll. Well, it's just an outlier. And so Andrea Mitchell says, well, you know, what about the real clear politics average of all the polls? It reveals the same. Well, you really can't go by that. Americans are more concerned. This is what's really starting to gall me, Rhino. Americans are more concerned about freedom. These are Democrats who thrive on control who thrive on infringing on freedom, honestly, because it confers power to them. But what they're talking about, every time you hear this freedom, make no mistake, what they're talking about is abortion. Is abortion. And so their their narrative is, their talking point is that that any of these these laws that are being passed in particular in the red states, where they are uh, inching up on the restrictions on abortion, right, as a result of the Dobbs case, overturning of, of Roe v. Wade. So what they're suggesting is that that is an infringement on freedom. 
What do you mean? What freedom there, Toots Pelosi? Freedom to kill a baby in the womb? That's what you deem as freedom? That's sick. That is totally sick. I heard an interview with a candidate uh, out west. I can't remember the name of the candidate. uh, Talking about uh, her position on uh, abortion and restriction thereof. and, And basically said, hey, that's between the doctor and the expectant mother. And so the journalist asked, well, should there be any restrictions? Like, what about late-term abortions, uh, you know, all the way up to the end of the third trimester? Yeah, that's still between the, the patient and uh, the mother, in this case, and the doctor. Really? So rather than law getting involved in, in that procedure, which takes life out of the womb, you're saying that that's a matter for just two individuals? I don't care if one's the mother and one's the doctor or not. What about the one who doesn't have a voice? That's just sick. But they're trying to ride that pony all the way to the finish line in the midterm elections. And I just frankly don't think it's going to work. They just dismiss any discussion whatsoever about crime, about the economy, uh, they don't want to talk about that because it's it's losers for the Democrats. We got some sound here, maybe uh, Rhino from Joe Biden when he was asked about the economy with ice cream cone in hand. Well, it's predictable. I mean, there was I wasn't the only one that thought it was a mistake, but I, I think that uh, the idea. Of Cutting taxes on the super wealthy at a time when, anyway, I just think, I, I disagree with the policy, but that's up to Great Britain to make that judgment, not me. And are you concerned about, just one more economic one, are you concerned about the strength of the dollar right now? I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Yes, our economy is strong as hell. The internals, inflation is worldwide. It's worse off everywhere else than it is in the United States. So the problem is the lack of economic growth and sound policy in other countries, not so much ours. And that's how it's worldwide inflation. It's consequential. Oh, it's worldwide inflation. You know, that is so weak, and and this just perturbs me so bad. And here's what I mean by that. It is never appropriate, never appropriate for someone responsible for something to always say, well, we're better than the other guys. That's not the standard. The standard of this country, whether it's cost of living, uh, freedom, defense, safety, the standard in this country should never be other countries. If that were the case, we'd still be in the in the dark ages. That should never be the standard. But that's what they keep pointing to. Well, it's better than elsewhere. Nobody cares. I don't care if inflation in this country is lower than what it is in Rwanda. I don't care about that. I don't think clear-thinking Americans care about that. That's not... The measuring stick whatsoever. And and that's just weak. You don't ever put your goals out there. I just want to be as good as them. 
That's not a goal. No matter what the endeavor is, whether it's business or sports or performing, that's not the goal. And that shouldn't be how goals are created. But that's basically what he's saying. Oh, the economy is strong as hell. And, Rhino, you're watching that. He's saying that while he's got that gigantic ice cream cone in his hand, and he's chomping on that chocolate ice cream, it looks like, and that, uh, and that waffle cone. He doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, well, it's better than the other countries. And Corinne Jean-Pierre saying, well, the tax cuts for the special interest wealthy. And what he, initially what he was responding to was the question about UK. Liz Truss over there, the new prime minister, uh, promptly, uh, I guess, passed resolutions. I don't know exactly how it works in the UK, but apparently as the prime minister has a fair amount of control over tax policy and did that, but, but didn't cut any of the expenses correspond with that to counter that and and that honestly called a market caused a market meltdown it caused the bank of england to intervene to to prevent default on pension payments in the country and of course that's you heard what joe biden says well they just wanted to give tax breaks to the wealthy i'm so sick of that narrative who the hell do they think pays the taxes you can't give tax breaks to people that don't pay any if, if you're going to have a tax reduction well, of course, it's going to go to people who pay taxes. Otherwise, you're not reducing anything. That's the old Jethro Bodine, not from not equal not. And that's just how they think, though. Uh, I'm sorry we couldn't get Pelosi to play for you, but uh, hopefully we were able to describe to you kind of what she's saying. Uh, <laughs> she's just dismissing all these polls don't matter. Americans are more worried about... She uses the term, which is really a, a total farcical euphemism. They're more worried about their freedom, which means their freedom to kill the baby in the womb uh, all the way through the point of birth. May even She may be so radical at this point, the Democrats, they're okay with it even after postpartum, which is just sick, freakishly, freakishly ghoulishly, moral, immoral. Sick. We'll step aside for a break right here. We got another segment, and then we got Tawana O'Rear, Sanctuary Hospice COO. We're in Tupelo, Mississippi, at Celebration Village for Sanctuary Hospice House. For you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to midday super talk mississippi we are in tupelo mississippi today at the tupelo furniture market celebration of village about to get underway kicking off tomorrow 10 a.m to 9 p.m are the hours for thursday and friday and then saturday 10 to 5 and been uh touring the place earlier this morning and unbelievable all the uh, vendors, the retailers, have all their stuff set up ready to uh, to sell you, and uh, looks like some 
some good merchandise, good prices, and most importantly, of course, benefiting Sanctuary Hospice House. And joining us now, Tawana O'Rear, Sanctuary Hospice COO. Tawana, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so I've been commenting and remarking this morning that walking through uh, the furniture mark there and, and seeing all the, the displays set up, it's, it's like walking through a shopping mall except like double a shopping mall all in, under one roof. It is. It's so fun. The, the vendors have been setting up for the last two days, and it's really my two favorite days of the year, seeing this place go from just an empty building and turned into like a Christmas market. The decorations are there, all the different products and the vendors. It's the most fun couple of days. We're so excited to open our doors up tonight for our preview party and for general shopping tomorrow. And a lot of hard work goes in setting all that up because since we've been here uh, on the program and a little bit before, lots of people going in and out of the front door here with with merchandise and other items, um, their fixtures and so forth, getting all that organized and set up. Lots of lots of work go into the last couple of weeks for sure. We plan the market all year long, but the last couple of weeks are when it really comes to fruition. Our vendors, we have over 100 vendors. A lot of them basically move their store here and set it up for the week, and it's a lot of work for them. From our side, we have hundreds of volunteers that we couldn't do without. They really make this market happen. And you've been with Sanctuary Hospice for how long, Tawana? I've been there for 12 years. As the COO the whole time? Or? Uh, no, I had a couple of different roles before I took on that role, um, but I took that on a few years ago and now oversee operations for our inpatient facility, our hospice house. We have 24 beds there, and um, we cover 18 counties with our home hospice team. Something you hear a lot about, uh, certainly in the healthcare industry, is uh, just the stress and the need for good quality health care professionals. How's that going for you? Are, are you uh, able to maintain adequate staffing levels? I know you're probably always looking for more, right? Good people. Yeah, we always need more. The last couple of years have been really hard. I've been in health care for 20 years, and the last couple of years have looked way different um, than anything that I've seen before. Staffing is hard. Um, people are changing jobs. Nurses have left the field entirely. COVID just changed everything yeah. for people, and you know their outlook on things is different. Yeah, a lot of nurses have taken travel jobs, and now they're taking time off. Mm-hmm. Um, people are people are, are choosing different schedules. We have applicants that come to us now that say, "I don't want to work full time anymore. Huh. I just want to work part time." Um, so it's it's hard, and and the last couple of years have been especially difficult. We used to have. You know, when we had an open job, we would have applicants sitting there that had been waiting for months for something to open up. And in the last two years, that's completely changed. Hmm. Now we have a job posted for months before we find the candidate that we're Isn't looking that for. something? Wow. And i, I got to believe that uh, these sorts of jobs, working in hospice, it's not something for uh, a range of healthcare professionals. You can't just transition from, um, say, other other areas uh, in the industry to this. This is special. It is special. We find our most successful people are really just called to this kind of work. It can be hard work when you're dealing with end of life care. You're consistently losing patients and you know families that you've gotten attached to. It can be really hard. Um, burnout can happen quick if you're not careful. So, you know, our board's always been really supportive of us having a good staffing model. So um, our nurses tend to manage, you know, less patients than you might in a different setting. So it, it allows them to really bond with the families and spend time with them on their routine visits. But it also means they get more attached to them than they would if they were just in the home a few minutes a week. So they get really attached to these patients. How, how do they manage 
their their own uh, personal uh, psyche and, and just mental stability dealing with these extremely difficult trying situations. How how are they able to to just maintain and 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 kind of separate their personal lives from their professional lives? It, you're still human. I mean, it's right. it, it affects you, and it's it kind of hard to just. Leave, leave it at the office, as they say, every day. I think everybody handles it differently. Um, we, we try to really encourage a good work-life balance. This is a, a job that's easy to follow you home all the time because your patients get your phone number, your families yeah. do, and then they want to call that nurse that they're used to. Yeah. And drawing boundaries can be hard, but you really have to protect the health of your family and your work-life balance and make sure that you know when you leave work that you can leave it at work because mm-hmm. from a staffing standpoint we make sure it's covered it may not be covered by the person that they see every day of the week mm-hmm. um, but it is covered and they're going to get great care around the clock we have you know nurses available to them 24 7 but the nurses and the aides and our um, you know social workers and chaplains all have to learn to just draw the boundaries um you know in, in a good way so that they can protect their work-life balance because that's really the key to to keep in you know satisfaction with sure. the job from getting burnt out you have to be able to leave it at work and it is really hard to do do they support each other do they work with each other yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean because it's it's a common bond that mm-hmm. very few people have and, and it's yeah. kind of hard to find that sort of support outside the domain they understand each other they know what they're going through on a day-to-day basis you know you can you can kind of talk when one's having a bad day somebody else is having a good day sure. and they can kind of help talk them through that so they support each other a lot our chaplain um, staff is available to us as well we have prayer service at our hospice house once a week and that's kind of a time we can take to fill ourselves back up from everything you've emptied out to your patients all week so we have a a prayer service there we have um sing hymns have prayer you know talk about prayer needs and that kind of thing and that, and that's one way we can kind of fill back up yeah this event uh celebration village in the the funds it it produces for the hospice it's a big part of your budget it's a huge part of our budget we have to fundraise over a million and a half dollars every year a lot of those dollars come in small amounts. People donate us, you know, $25, $50 in honor of somebody or in memory of somebody, and those add up quickly. But the big fundraisers that we have every year is Celebration Village, and then we have two thrift stores um, that we that we run as well, and those are our two biggest fundraisers. Our care definitely wouldn't happen without either one of those. So that sort of funding, does that kind of close the gap between what insurance pays Mm -hmm. uh, for the care and the expenses of the care? Yeah, That's what you're really looking to do, is it not? Exactly. Make up that element. Yeah, we're nonprofit, so all of our money goes directly back into our patient care. Our reimbursement rate for our inpatient facility is not at a rate that covers 24-hour care. So we get about $160 a day for those patients that we're providing 24-hour staffing. We're providing meals, medication, all their supplies, and everything. It costs a lot more than 160. That. Yeah, it costs a lot more than that, and that's yeah. where our one and a half million dollars goes back to every year. But the community seems to be very generous, as evidenced by what you got going on here Absolutely. at Celebration Village and all these folks set up. It's a lot of work to do that. I mean, I I'm kind of blown away with it because I got in the way of a, of a few people that are trying to roll their merchandise down the down the aisles there, and I didn't want to interfere with that. But yeah, this community. I can't say enough about this community from from the very beginning when the hospice house was started. This community has stepped up, and they do it every year. I have people from all over the country call me and say, can we talk to you about your fundraising? Can we talk to you about how you fund your hospice house? And 
they can't replicate it. We share everything we have to share with them, but they can't replicate it. And they can't do that because it's just this community, the individuals in this community step up in a way that I haven't seen anywhere else. Do you think some of it may be driven by the fact that uh, any of us are subject to needing, as part of our family, uh, this sort of care? I think so, and we've taken care of thousands of patients at this point, so almost everybody that you see out here volunteering has had somebody under our care at some point, and, and a lot of it, this is their way of giving back. This community in general is just good about helping and, and meeting a need when it's there, though, because they they did it before we ever took care of a single patient. When we built our hospice house, we built it debt-free. Yeah. They raised you know, all the money they needed to build that facility before they ever had it there. People were volunteering and donating even then. Any expansion plans, other projects on the boards you can talk about? No, no expansion plans. We have 24 beds out there. Um, each one of those beds financially is a loss, and so if we added beds, we'd have to add fundraising. I got so. you. I got you. Well, uh, it, it's awesome. And what do you think about the folks who, who were really the catalyst for the creation of the hospice house? I, I know we had uh, Lisa Hawkins on earlier, the chair of Celebration Village, and obviously she was instrumental in that. Got about a minute left. I mean, it's what an idea. So many of those people still involved here today in this market and in our day-to-day operations at the hospice house. But those people were phenomenal, and they had a vision like most people don't even realize. You know, they had to get legislation that they thought was going to be at a state she level. She explained that, yeah. They got to the state, and they said, no, that's a federal regulation. But it's those incredible. people are still involved. They're still here fundraising. Um, Nancy Collins was here today. I'm sorry, Elder. Um, they're, they're, here, they're here still involved as they were in the beginning. That's awesome. Tawana, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate it. Our pleasure. Great event. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. Final segment coming up from Tupelo, Mississippi. I'm all shook up. I'm all shook up. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from Tupelo, Mississippi, at the Tupelo Furniture Market, where they're setting up Celebration Village, the 20th anniversary of Celebration Village. And, of course, this is a big fundraising event for Sanctuary Hospice House. We just had Tawana O'Rear, Sanctuary Hospice COO, on Middays. Appreciate Tawana coming on and talking about the great work they do. So uh, the last couple of days, you guys know Dave Hughes been filling in. Really appreciate that. I had the the pleasure of uh, traveling up to Oxford, presenting the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, a full overview of that to uh, Ole Miss Law Professor Ron Richlack's gaming law class. About twenty three students in that class, and uh, there's. A PowerPoint that I put together a couple of years ago, three years ago, I guess, thinking back on it now, when I was kind of asked to, uh, I guess, be the default spokesperson for the lottery. And this was long before we even had an employee. Uh, and they handle all that now, and, and, and rightfully they should. 
but back in those days, a lot of people, in, in, right after it was enacted, 18, 19 time frame, before we ever hired even a president, people want to know, what's this thing all about? How's it going to work? And so I took the liberty of just putting a little slideshow together and presented that. And, of course, we've updated it as well and presented that to the law students. And uh, it was fascinating. So uh, three of the students in the class, I believe it was three, are actually writing papers on the lottery have read the Clark Act, which is the legislation that established the Mississippi Lottery uh, Corporation. And they, they asked some really good questions um, and, and also learned some things. I learned some things uh, from from the students as well just about their thoughts about lottery. And, and it seems like it, it, you probably know by now, of course, hopefully you do, that the first $80 million of annual proceeds are earmarked for the state highway fund to fund roads and bridges. And, in fact, it's, it's my opinion that that was really the catalyst for Governor Phil Bryant at the time calling a special session to get a lottery passed in the law established by law because it's something he had been wanting to do and numerous other members of the legislature as well for quite some time but just couldn't get the votes but also there was a kind of a, a, a split in the legislature on whether or not to raise the state's fuel taxes and of course the road builders and others involved in uh, road construction in that industry we're, we're lobbying for an additional fuel tax, an increase of the fuel tax for more funds for that purpose. So it, it was really kind of the governor some others that had the idea, well, you know what, we wanted, we've been wanting to get a lottery. What if we earmark some of the proceeds for uh, roads and bridges, for the state highway fund? I, I bet we can get the votes to make that happen. And, of course, as any good political leader does, the governor and his team and members' uh, leadership in the houses counted the votes, if you will, before they got together in a special session and enacted it. But the students really wanted to see something along the lines of the Hope Scholarship in Georgia, and I think there's there's similar use of the proceeds in the state of Louisiana helps to kind of offset and fund uh, college educations. I, I found that kind of interesting. Um, that, that they were going there with that. And also, in accordance with the law, the current structure where the first $80 million goes to roads and bridges, that actually ends uh, based on the law in 2028. Now, the legislature can at any point in time, in time amend the law to have the first $80 million or, or allocate the proceeds however they want, you know, with, with uh, amendments to the law. At this point, I don't think the legislature is going to touch it. Uh, but in 2028, it automatically uh, will transition to uh, the first $80 million going to the general fund. I don't know how popular that will be. I think we're likely to see a bit of a battle, honestly, in the legislature. But that's a couple of, uh, couple of cycles away, a couple of legislative classes away, if you will. And by that point, uh, we will uh, certainly have new leadership. In the governor's mansion, lieutenant governors, they will, will term out uh, because uh, both the lieutenant governor, the present governor, and lieutenant governor have one more term they can serve. So in the 27 election cycle, we're going to be electing somebody new in there. So we'll see. A lot, a lot of time between now and, and then. It was just fascinating. Yesterday, we had uh, in my home count, county of Madison, the Madison County 
uh, Business League and Foundation and Economic Development Authority had their annual vision celebration where they give some awards to local businesses. About 450 people attended that. We had a fantastic keynote speaker, the Executive Vice President and Director of Research for the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, Dr. Dave Alting. I had the honor of introducing Dr. Alting, but we're going to get him on the program. I talked to our folks at Super Talk about there. I think you guys would really enjoy what he has to say about Fed policy and the economy and so forth. We're going to make that happen sooner than later. Uh, final thing, Gary in the in the Berg says, never underestimate the Republicans' ability to blow this election. Now is not the time to discuss Social Security and Medicare funding. I, I hear you, Gary. I'll talk about that some more tomorrow. We are out of time here today from Tupelo, however. We really appreciate you joining us. This is a great event, Celebration Village for Sanctuary Hospice. Be back in the Elmer Well Studios in Jackson tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.